pulling no punches. This place felt like a torture chamber. Why MLA Melanie Mark is leaving politics and the message she hopes British Columbians take away. Dangerous trucks. It's always disappointing when we see vehicles pulled out of service. The staggering number of commercial vehicles that might be to other drivers. And Vancouver taxpayers face a big rate hike. They will feel that they are getting value for the taxes that they are having to pay. How the city defends a nearly 10% bump in property taxes. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. MLA Melanie Mark made an emotional statement in the BC legislature today announcing she is stepping down the first Indigenous woman ever elected and to serve as minister in B.C. had some harsh words for her opponents and others she's dealt with in politics. Richard Zussman has more on her message as she moves on. This place felt like a torture chamber. I will not miss the character assassination. Fighting back tears, pouring out her soul. Institutions fundamentally resist change. They're allergic to do, the thing, to do things differently, particularly colonial institutions like this Legislative Assembly and government at large. Vancouver Mount Pleasant MLA Melanie Mark will be stepping down at the end of March, bringing to an end an historic seven years, the first First Nations woman to serve as both an MLA and minister in BC's history. Mark stepping down to support her two daughters, who stood alongside her, wiping away their own tears. The 47-year-old describing her struggles outside the chamber, abused as a child and recently diagnosed with ADHD. I'm so proud that I was here with all of that passion, but it's misunderstood. The emotional response from Mark, a culmination of years of feeling mistreated and underestimated telling reporters that women, especially First Nation women, are treated much worse than anyone else. This stereotype that other people have to start doing is stop treating us like we're a whole bunch of angry Indians. This is passion, passion for justice, passion for better conditions for my people. We can't stand here with a whole bunch of shoes and baby uh, toys and say reconciliation matters here, really? The Premier vowing to make the legislature a more inclusive place, promising to listen and act on Mark's words. It's a, it's a challenge to all of us. Uh, it's a challenge to everybody in this place for us all to do better. But even after Mark leaves, she's vowing to build on that legacy, promising to push for her replacement to be, like her, a First Nations woman. I will continue using my big mouth to speak up for the voiceless, and those who don't vote, namely children, missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls, and Mother Earth. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, an incredibly emotional moment for uh, mm -hmm. Ms. Mark. What does her resignation mean politically for the party? 
Well, you couldn't have picked a safer seat for the NDP than Vancouver Mount Pleasant. Historically, it is the safest seat. In fact, when the NDP was shellacked back in 2001, that was one of only two seats that was able to hang on to. Here's the voting history for the safe NDP. Right, It was created back in 1991. Mike Harcourt was the first MLA there as premier. And you can see the margins of victory there, 60, 60, mid-60% every election, with the exception of 2001, to a far lower number for their opponents. Again, the average NDP vote here in terms of percentages is about 65% every election. So by and large, this is the safest riding for the NDP, which means I'd be very surprised if they were to lose the by-election to replace Melanie Mark as the MLA. Now, under BC's law, uh, Premier David Eby will have six months from the day uh, Melanie Mark turns in her resignation uh, to call a by-election, to hold a by-election. And also, of course, John Horgan is also taking effect. His resignation takes effect roughly the same time. So expect Eby to call both by-elections for the same date within the next six months. So between mid to late March to sometime mid uh, late September. In that time frame is when we're going to have elections to uh, replace two long-serving MLAs in the B.C. legislature. And the writing of Langford Wanda Fuqua, which is Horgan's writing, is also one of the safest NDP seats in the entire province. So look for the NDP to hang on to both those by-elections if and when they're called. Sounds like it. Not much change, likely. Thank you very much, right. Keith. All right, there's a new call to increase oversight of B.C.'s trucking industry, and it comes from the industry itself. Crashes are piling up, and new data obtained by Global News shows too many trucks shouldn't even be on the road. Grace Key has the story. It was a shocking sight for drivers. Almost two weeks ago, a truck towing a dump trailer in the raised position slammed into the Camby Overpass in Richmond. Every year, commercial vehicle safety and enforcement officers inspect vehicles that cross way scales and inspection sites. We would love to see more CVSE officers, more roadblocks and more road checks everywhere to really drive home the point about how important this is. Last year, CVSE officers pulled over almost 28,000 vehicles for a closer look. More than 1,200 were issued written warnings to fix issues. 7,500 were so unsafe, they had to be taken out of service for imminent hazards until repairs could be made. 6,300 needed repairs, but the driver could carry on. Only 1,800 passed inspection. But even these numbers, as big as they are, represent a very, very small fraction of the industry. That's because there are some 300,000 commercial vehicles in the province that cover everything from a pickup with trailer to a semi. The ministry says it's working to increase road safety. That includes recent electronic logging devices that monitor driver hours. This month, CVSE enforcement was increased along the Highway 5 North Corridor in response to recent incidents. So far, they've issued 159 tickets, 103 for speeding. The transportation minister was traveling and not available for comment. The Trucking Association has been advocating for open access to a carrier's record and for the government to share information when looking at accidents. And it's that preemptive inspection and being diligent and thorough on those. It's working with industry and holding carriers and drivers responsible. It's a combination of education, enforcement, you know, and putting more resources to bear and becoming more transparent. The BC Trucking Association members don't include dump trucks such as the one that hit the overpass. As for that driver, no charges have been laid yet and the matter is still under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. Charges have now been laid in a fatal hit and run in Kitsilano last year. The crash happened on the evening of June 19th when 24-year-old Owen Byrne was crossing West 4th at Arbutus. The driver who hit him never stopped or offered assistance. 
Shortly after the crash, the alleged driver and a 63-year-old family member were arrested. And today, Vancouver police say Alexander Romero Arada is the only person charged. He's facing charges of criminal negligence causing death, failing to stop at the scene of an accident, and public mischief. Constable Tanya Vizentine says it took months to lay charges due to the complexity of the case. In most cases, we do find the vehicle that's involved in hit and runs, but we don't always find the driver. And it does take um, a lot of time, a lot of analysis to gather that evidence to, to put the driver to the vehicle. And in this case, we had great information from the public. We had key DNA evidence, and we also had uh, did analysis of the crime scene. So all that led up to the identity of the driver in this case. The suspect will remain in custody until his next court appearance. Vancouver homeowners could be on the hook for a major property tax hike of nearly 10%, according to City Hall's draft 2023 budget. And more than $1.95 billion, it includes funding for many of the promises made by Ken Sim and his ABC Council majority during last fall's election campaign. Aaron MacArthur reports. Life set to get more expensive in the city of Vancouver. A staff report is recommending the city increase its annual budget by $200 million this year, paid for by homeowners and businesses. According to the ABC majority on council, the spending necessary and reflects what voters said they wanted in the fall. Our goal is that the final budget, people will see that investment reflected in things that matter to them um, and they will feel that they are getting value for the taxes that they are having to pay. The total budget for the city of Vancouver now just shy of $2 billion per year. And in order to pay for the increase, staff are recommending council approve a 9.7% hike to property taxes. Almost double the preliminary budget increase floated last fall. 5% of the increase will be used to fund core city services. 2.7% will be funneled to the Vancouver Police Department. And 1% used to top up the financial reserves depleted by pandemic spending. So our team have inherited a gutted and depleted reserve fund that actually has a negative balance, a half billion dollar infrastructure deficit, and years of underfunding in services that matter to residents. The final budget may look quite different once councillors have their input, but according to ABC, much of the cost pressure is out of council's hands and is due largely to inflation and wage growth. One city's Christine Boyle, though, says ABC backed itself into a corner trying to live up to campaign promises. She is worried politics will trump good policy and the final budget may see money diverted away from certain services. So I'm going to be fighting hard to make sure we're not cutting library hours, we're not cutting arts grants, we're not cutting uh, garbage and, and green bin pickup. Council will review the draft budget at a public hearing next week. Uh, and could vote on like the finalized oil, budget uh, early March. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, we checked in with other Metro Vancouver municipalities about proposed property tax increases. The increases have not been passed, but they are being considered. And of course, Surrey tops the list at 17.5, followed by Langley City at nearly 12%, Port Moody, White Rock, Langley Township is considering a 7.29 increase. And West Vancouver looking at just over 6%. Richmond below that. North Vancouver City at 5.24. Delta at 4.9. North Vancouver District at 4.5. And Burnaby is looking at the lowest increase of just under 4%.
New developments tonight in the historical case of allegations of misconduct by Mounties in Prince George. The RCMP confirms there is an ongoing criminal investigation into the file. Catherine Urquhart has the details in a case that could have been dealt with two decades ago. Almost two decades ago, Judge David Ramsey pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting indigenous girls in Prince George and was given a seven-year jail sentence. Those same girls also accused a number of RCMP officers of crimes, but they were never charged. Now Global News has confirmed there's still a criminal investigation into those historical allegations, along with a code of conduct investigation. I'm very concerned about the length of time that it has taken uh, to get uh, to this point. In an email statement, the Mountie said, the BC RCMP investigation into these historical allegations is ongoing. We cannot confirm any specifics or details at this time out of respect for the processes underway. The RCMP quite simply did nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, they took many, many steps to simply bury this. The retired staff sergeant spoke out two weeks ago along with retired constable Lisa McKenzie. She said she had discovered videotapes which allegedly showed Indigenous girls being harassed by RCMP officers in Prince George. I could hear the voice of another male in the truck. I couldn't identify who that male was and was talking to another um, young Indigenous female outside of the vehicle and um, appeared to be encouraging her to flash them. She says the tapes were later stolen from her home. The RCMP's Civilian Review and Complaints Commission determined no one in a position of authority in E-Division reasonably ensured a timely assessment of criminal misconduct or code of conduct breaches, and no one ensured a reasonable investigation was conducted. The right thing to do is to have an outside agency take charge of this investigation. The RCMP told Global News they're exploring ways to ensure transparency and accountability with respect to all of our actions taken, such as an independent or outside agency review. The allegations uh, would be dealt with. Uh, and I have confidence that, that will happen. Allegations that may be dealt with approximately 20 years after those Indigenous girls came forward. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And late this afternoon, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs called on the Premier, Solicitor General, and Canada's Ministers of Justice and Public Safety to see that these allegations and others involving those that are complicit in the systemic violence against Indigenous women and girls are fully investigated for the RCMP to interim investigation report to be released publicly. The UBCIC demands an independent Indigenous and civilian-led investigation to be swiftly carried out for a criminal investigation and appropriate criminal charges for the officers involved and for profound police reform to put an end to negligence and violence towards our people. You're already paying a lot more for groceries. Now you'll have to budget more for alcohol, too. The automatic tax increase you can't avoid next on the news hour an historic hire in professional baseball what the blue jays organization gets in their new coach who's coming to vancouver and a major milestone in site c dam construction what this massive component will eventually do 
Right now, though, in a few weeks, expect to pay more for your favorite alcoholic beverage. Come April 1st, Ottawa is set to introduce a 6.3% liquor tax hike. And that means producers and sellers will see their taxes go up, which critics argue will mean higher prices for you and me. With more on the impact, let's bring in consumer reporter Anne Drua. Anne? Thanks, Chris. It's called the excise tax, a federal government tax on alcohol production that has been in place for decades. The tax is set to inflation, and in the past, it's gone up 1% to 2% at a time. But this year, with much higher inflation, it means higher taxes for producers and likely more pain in your pocketbook. With another, another price, price hike, hike. coming April, April 1st, 1st, a federal, federal excise tax will increase the cost of alcohol in Canada by 6.3%. The federal government's going to make an extra $45 million off of this. The federal liquor tax hike was introduced years ago and automatically increases April 1st. The rate is based on the consumer price index. Normally, liquor industry reps say it's not that noticeable, but with the current high rate of inflation, the impact will be severe. Everybody who produces alcohol in Canada, their taxes are going to go up. So when we, as a private liquor store or a government store or a restaurant or a pub, when you buy it, your costs have gone up. So we have no choice but to pass those costs on to consumers. Not good news when consumers are already spread thin with record high grocery costs, fuel and other expenses. And a six-pack of beer, you can probably see that going up 50 cents or a dollar. You'll see bottles of wine going up by a dollar. You'll find your favorite brand of vodka or gin or spirits going up by a couple of dollars. This is from, uh, from Tuscany in Italy. And it's not just consumers who stand to pay the price. Vancouver's legacy liquor store brand manager Daryl Lamb says he's already seen dozens of breweries in B.C. permanently shut down over the past couple of years because of increasing costs. Producers, the local craft breweries, the local wineries, the craft distilleries, all trying to survive. And you have a government thousands of kilometers away in Ottawa that just doesn't hear their plight. Right now, there's a collective industry push to change that. Beer Canada, for example, trying to convince the feds not to go ahead with this particular tax. The Canadian iconic duo, Bob and Doug McKenzie, adding their voice with this radio commercial telling government to take a hike with its tax increase. Okay, everything else in Canada is frozen, eh? Freeze the beer tax too. It is a tax based on choice. You're not taxing the obligated. You're taxing people who are willingly... Um, buying an alcoholic beverage and so that's really what the industry is up against. Industry reps now requesting Ottawa to cap the rate. It feels like the right thing to do is cap it at no more than two percent uh, and then we can revisit this next year. And we apologize there. We obviously have some audio issues. In the meantime, liquor industry reps, major producers, and members of the restaurant industry were in Ottawa recently asking for that cap. And now it's up to Ottawa. They say they are optimistic and are hoping to hear back very soon from the federal government. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Ann. Up next, a local charity hit by fraud. They have no mercy when hurting even charities. What fooled them and why the scam was so hard to spot? And a year and a half after devastating floods, finally a visit from the federal minister. The president of a small BC charity is speaking out tonight, warning others of a scam that saw them duped of a thousand precious advertising dollars. 
As Kylie Stanton reports, she's speaking out, hoping to reduce the shame about being tricked. Stigma is society's negative attitude or judgment around a stereotyped group. If there's an expert on the topic, it's this woman. Hi, my name is Andrea. I am president and founder of the Stigma Free Society. She spent the past 13 years raising awareness about different challenges people face working to foster acceptance. And speaking of stigma... But this time, she's sharing her own experience. There's a lot of stigma when it comes to suffering from a scam. Back in July, Paquette received an email. Greetings, Andrea. It was from someone posing as a sales representative at Connect Media, offering her charity one of eight spots to be featured on 10,000 reusable grocery bags to be handed out at the Robson Street IGA in Vancouver. So it wasn't a situation which was too good to be true. It was actually reasonable and a really good opportunity. Still, Paquette did her due diligence. She reviewed the Connect Media website and called the IGA location to confirm its involvement. They assured me that the project uh, was 100% legitimate and it was at no cost to them. The agreement was laid out and signed by both parties and a one-time payment of $1,500 was made. But soon after the artwork mock-ups got underway, the communication shut down. And as it turns out, um, this is a scam. While the Robson IGA store owner has declined to comment on what he called an unfortunate incident, the Better Business Bureau warns it's unlikely the stigma-free society is the sole victim. The thing is, the initial idea was very smart, very clever. It's just really unfortunate that people are doing this to those who really... Are, are the people that we should be supporting. Paquette says the IGA has stepped up to host an in-store fundraiser to help the charity recoup the stolen money. The scam has also been reported to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. But in the meantime, Paquette is choosing to speak out, seeing this as an opportunity to break down yet another stigma. Because it can happen to anybody. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And the Better Business Bureau has some tips on how to avoid being scammed. First of all, never send money to someone you've never met face-to-face. -face. Take precautions when making online purchases. Don't be pressured to act immediately. Be cautious about what you share on social media. And whenever possible, work with businesses that have proper identification, licensing, and insurance. Well, for the first time since an atmospheric river tore through downtown Princeton in the fall of 2021, a federal minister toured the community this morning. As Taya Fast reports, the community is still recovering and in need of a lot more help. For the first time since a massive flood washed through downtown Princeton nearly two years ago, the federal government paid a visit to the community. We really felt it was important to come up, have an opportunity to meet with Mayor Coyne and his team, look at, 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 at some of the damages um, they face, and I, and I need to have a better understanding of how we can help and what we need to do. Could have happened sooner, I'll say that. <laughs> it could have happened sooner, definitely. Um, you know, that was frustration, not only of myself, but of our community, and my community kept asking, why isn't the federal government coming? On Wednesday, Federal Minister of Emergency Preparedness was on the ground touring some of the hardest hit areas and in infrastructure. Remarkably resilient community and, and, and the way in which they bounce back and clean up the, you know, the mess. That, I've seen the pictures and, and, and Mayor Coyne was always very articulate in explaining what, what his community was facing when the floods occurred. 
Um, you see that, that rebuild and it really does speak to the resilience of a community and their people. Mayor Spencer Coyne and officials gave a first-hand look at just how far the community has come since floods ravaged the downtown area in November of 2021. Primary thing was to show the minister what we've been going through and where we've come from and where we're at today. I think that's the key is to show the resiliency of our community and how much we've been able to accomplish in the time that we've been dealing with this situation. However, one concern that is top of mind for locals and officials, most of the town is still on a boil water advisory. It's a year and a half almost since this happened and we are no closer now than we were the day after the flood to get our water up and running as far as I'm concerned and we need to get our, our act together and we need to start working together on this because this is not acceptable. You know, they've also been taking me a little bit behind the scenes. We just came from um, the, the, the wells and, and to help me understand the water challenges that this community is facing. Um, there's a number of other significant infrastructure impacts. Meanwhile, the community has yet to receive all of the promised funding to help finish repairs. I'll be meeting tomorrow with uh, Minister Ma and, and, and bringing in the, the next big payment of the disaster financial assistance arrangement money that we promised. Uh, you'll probably recall we, we committed close to $5 billion um, for that recovery. Adding that they've been working closely with the provincial government to expedite the process in order to get the money to communities like Princeton faster. But for now, there is no timeline as to when that will happen. TFS Global News, Princeton. Defense Minister Anita Anand is visiting the West Coast, taking a tour of the C-SPAN shipyards in North Vancouver earlier today. Anand was on site to thank the workers who build the ships, especially ships used for national defense. But the minister was also asked about the three balloons shot down earlier this month, including two over Canada. As you witnessed when NORAD shot down the suspected balloon over central Yukon last week, we will continue to do what is necessary in the protection of the Canadian population and, of course, our airspace together with NORAD and our American allies. Anand was also expected to visit a local Legion branch and talk about international security issues at SFU. Just ahead, flying into the future. How passengers feel about the new facial recognition technology that Air Canada is piloting. Imagine being able to walk into an airport, pass through security and board the plane without ever showing a piece of ID or a boarding pass. Air Canada is testing the technology at YVR that could make it a reality. But as Julie Nolan reports, the public isn't quite convinced the technology is ready to fly. Facial recognition software. Is it answering the call to streamline long waits at the airport? Air Canada is trying it out as a pilot project on select flights from Vancouver and Toronto heading to Winnipeg. It also means you don't have to keep showing your boarding pass and ID. Combined with a scan of your passport photo and your own selfies, and your identity is verified, called a face print. You're seeing the future of air travel evolve. Uh, like I said, this is prototype, this is pilots. You know, there, there, there is no standard in the world of aviation that deals with facial recognition at this point in time. The question is, will Canadians be willing to give up their personal information to speed up the check-in process? 
It's not something new as other airlines around the globe are now using the technology when experts says it might be an answer to the staffing shortages at Canadian airports. However, this is very personal information and is it safe, especially if it's used by a private company as opposed to being run by an immigration services at a border control. Passengers at YVR offered up mixed opinions, even though it's voluntary. If I feel comfortable with them having my face, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. I wouldn't want them having my face in their systems and all that. I prefer giving my IDs. I prefer going through all that, even though it takes a bit, you know, a longer time. I'd have to know more about it, but based on what you've shown me there, I would say no. Is there any sort of, like, confidentiality that they have to keep with that, or can they share it where, with wherever? The biometric content is stored in the passenger's phone for up to 36 hours after their flight. Still, a former privacy commissioner in Ontario is calling on Air Canada to be transparent about exactly how the data will be used. Never give up on privacy, ever. A lot of, there's a lot of people out there, naysayers, they say, you know, that ship has sailed, privacy is dead. The hell it is. It's alive and well and kicking. Someday the technology could mean travelers skip lines altogether, although will it mean giving up privacy for that convenience? Julie Nolan, Global News. And Air Canada joins some big names trying facial recognition for passengers. Delta Airlines is using the technology on some flights from its global hub in Atlanta. Meantime, Narita Airport in Tokyo is using facial recognition to speed passengers through the terminal there. Narita consistently ranks among the best airports in the world in passenger surveys. Well, if you can't find the news stories you're looking for, it could be because Google is temporarily blocking access to online news content for some of its Canadian users. It's the company's response to the Liberal government's proposed Online News Act. And the act, also known as Bill C-18, would require Google and other digital giants to negotiate deals to compensate Canadian media companies when their content is republished. Access will be limited for less than 4% of Google's Canadian users for a five-week test period. A spokesperson for Google says the company has been transparent about its concerns over Bill C-18, calling it overly broad. A spokeswoman for Canada's Heritage Minister, meantime, calls the move disappointing. Well, you've no doubt seen a lot of kids and adults, including myself, dressed in pink today. That's right, it's Pink Shirt Day. BC, BGCBC, formerly the Boys and Girls Club, held its rally at Broadway in Camby this afternoon to show its support for the annual anti-bullying campaign. The initiative started 16 years ago in Nova Scotia after a boy was picked on for wearing a pink shirt. CKNW Kids Fund and Pink Shirt Day have been raising money for all these years and that money goes to organizations like ours to run programs for kids, amazing kids like these ones behind me who are learning all about how to build healthy relationships and um, to show up in the world as kind, compassionate humans. Like the t-shirt says, this year's campaign encourages everyone to lift each other up with kindness, empathy and understanding, as well as embrace and celebrate our differences. Thanks to everybody who took part today. A home run hire for the Toronto Blue Jays organization. A dream come true, really. Only the second female coach in franchise history and how she feels about coming to Vancouver later. Also, power play, how this massive installation will eventually pump power to the province. 
A major construction milestone on the Site C dam project with the installation of the first giant turbine rotor inside the dam's powerhouse. The massive rotor weighs more than 600 tons and took two massive cranes four hours to lift it into place. Over the next 18 months, five more of the rotors will be installed. The next major milestone on the project will be filling the reservoir, and that could happen as early as this fall. The $16 billion dam is set to be operational in 2025 and generate enough electricity to power nearly half a million homes. That's a lot of rain and snow needed to fill that reservoir. Eventually, we're getting some of that right now. Yvonne Shell is here with the latest in weather, Yvonne. Thanks, Chris, and good evening, everyone. We're actually tracking some light snowfall across Metro Vancouver. We can see it just along the west end and some heavier snow uh, just along the island for the eastern region. So we are going to continue to see that overnight before it does ease off. Areas of concern with the snowfall warning from Fanny Bay to Duncan, 5 and up to 15 centimetres locally across that area. Did want to highlight as well Friday night for the northern tip of Vancouver Island, a significant amount of snow between 10 and up to 30 centimetres, and that same system will move along the north coast through the day on Friday and areas inland will see it on Saturday between 10 and up to 20 centimeters. Very chilly overnight tonight. We are seeing the wind chills at minus 20. Areas across the central interior feeling closer to minus 40. We've got the risk of frostbite. Bundle up for the early morning hours on Friday morning, or tomorrow morning rather, we are going to see those wind chills into the minus teens. We've got a bit of a break in the action for precipitation tomorrow, but on Friday, as we get in late day, we'll start to see that change on the way. And the big weather story that we're following will be in towards our Saturday night into Sunday. We've got snow across Metro Vancouver and anywhere between 5 and potentially up to 15 centimeters locally. So tune back in, but we'll be watching that late Saturday and taking us in towards our Sunday morning if you do have plans for the weekend. Now the northern half of the province we are seeing that sunshine chilly right across the board. We've got that arctic air across the entire province. The interior if you're traveling along the mountain passes higher elevations could still see a few wet flurries for the morning hours and then clearing out as we get in through the afternoon. Most areas across the island it'll be the eastern half that will see some flurries dissipating and then the northern tip of Vancouver Island. It's Friday that we'll see a significant amount of snow. Lower mainland we are going to be looking at chilly temperatures over the next two. It'll be paired with sunshine. Also very windy at times. Anywhere between 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. Wind chill will be feeling like minus 10 and then it's we're watching it for Saturday into Sunday with that snowfall across the region. This great weather window was captured by Laura in Dawson Creek yesterday of the sun, sun dog in that region. Chris? Such a cool feature. Alright, thanks very much Yvonne. Uh, looking for bright spots in the Canucks and there are a few of them. Depends what you want the Canucks to do. Mm, that's true. Do you want them to make a big run at the end of the year and look good for next season, or do you want them to stumble to the finish and have a better chance at Connor Bedard? That's the question. But I have bad news if you want the latter. Vancouver's schedule gets a lot easier from here on out. All right, we'll talk about that coming up, Squire. Also ahead, the Vancouver Canadians get a barrier-busting new coach. What she brings to the game. Are the, uh... I was going to say, do you recognize this tie? Oh, that's a beautiful tie. It's a very nice one. Used to be yours. <laughs> a good You'd one. be surprised that two men who are a foot apart in height can actually <laughs> share clothes. We often trade. That's incredible. 
ties, that is, nothing else, really. That's right. Anyway, you were going to say something? I, I... Uh, well, I was just going to say somebody might need to have a chat with Kuzmenko if, if they're in the tank category. <laughs> or Patterson. Yeah. Remember when Rick Tockett said he wasn't, didn't want to use Patterson as much? He's using him more than Boudreaux used yeah. him. So, anyway. I'm sure last night there were Canuck fans freaking out when Vancouver rallied for two goals late in the third period to send the game against Nashville to overtime. Now, the Predators did win in a shootout. Some were doing a happy freakout, and some were doing the don't get any points, you'll hurt your draft position freakout. I will say this, it was another impressive performance by Andre Kuzmenko. For all the Canucks who aren't worth their big contracts, and there are a few, Kuzmenko is bang for the buck. He only gets paid $9.50. That was a prove you're an NHL or one-year contract. Now, of course, he got a new deal from the Canucks. But his 26 goals this season is the most among all players in the NHL who were never drafted. He was signed by Vancouver after playing in Russia. And maybe not coming when you're a teenager is not a bad thing. And remember, earlier this month, he wasn't getting a lot of ice time from Rick Tockett. He wasn't happy with his defensive play, but he has four goals in his last three games. So with that point against Nashville, Vancouver right now is the sixth worst team in the NHL, which means if the league stopped right now and they did the draft lottery tonight, the Canucks would have a 7.5% chance of winning the Connor Bedard Derby. There's very little chance Vancouver is going to fall to the bottom of the standings unless they trade a lot more key players before the March 3rd deadline. And there is also the matter of the upcoming schedule. In the final 25 games, Vancouver plays only 11 current playoff teams. They have one of the easiest schedules from here on out. Lots of chances to pick up wins. For example, the Canucks have three games left against Anaheim, two against Arizona, two against Chicago. Even St. Louis, who they'll play tomorrow, is out of a playoff spot and has been trading away star veterans. So there are a lot of easy touches for Vancouver. But of course, teams look at the Canucks as an easy touch as well but they do have a better chance of getting higher in the standings than they do getting lower in the standings based on who they're playing. R2 Ratu has been called up from Abbotsford, so it'll be his first look in a Vancouver Canucks uniform soon. He had played some games for the Islanders, so he has played in the NHL, but in the minors, he actually hasn't been lighting it up for Abbotsford. Only one assist so far. He's going to come up with defenseman Guillaume Brisbois and going back down to Abbotsford is Phil DiGiuseppe, who actually played okay in Vancouver, but I guess they figure it's time for Ratu to get a ride with the big club. So one of the knocks last year when the Whitecaps had Lucas Cavallini on Lucas Cavallini was he spent too much time running out of the box looking to help the Whitecaps offense in the buildup rather than staying in a scoring position and waiting for a pass. New striker Sergio Cordova showed in practice yesterday with Vancouver and with Real Salt Lake where he played last year. He's inclined to stay near the net. And he's been told by Vanny Sartini that is the plan for him. Be the finisher. Yeah, there's two things about that. Uh, one is, again, is his characteristic. He's very mobile, so he plays and attacks the space. Plays and attacks the space. And the other thing, I, I think that also the way that we play this season, that we have an additional player when we attack, basically, with the system that we use, help the number nine not to be too much... Uh, Focus in helping the build up, but being there and trying to score goals. That's at, at least that's at least what we're trying to do. Canada and Japan at the She Believes Cup. Canada lost to the Americans in the opening game, then they beat Brazil, but they had a rough time today. Kiko Seki scores here in the 26th minute, and Sabrina D'Angelo, the Canadian keeper, gets hurt on this play. 
So that made it one nothing. They get a penalty kick goal, Japan would, and then Jun Endo would score here as well. You got to feel for the Canadians with what they've been going through with their association. They just look discombobulated at this tournament and it showed today. 3-0 final for Japan. Another win this afternoon for the BC rink, skipped by Clancy Grandy at the uh, Scotty. So now BC is 4-2. They're in Pool A. Team Canada still first in Pool A with a 6-0 record. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, right. Squire. And still to come, a new member of the Vancouver Canadians coaching staff who really knows what she is doing. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, Richmond RCMP are looking for some specific witnesses as they continue their investigation into a pair of random attacks on women last week. We'll have details on who police are looking for at 11. Also tonight, the inside story of a therapy program in North Vancouver. Teenagers, people living with dementia and their caregivers, all coming together once a week for music therapy. You'll hear how it's benefiting all participants on Global News at 11. Chris? Sounds like a great story. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Okay, so this is a dream come true for a greater Toronto area high school teacher. Ashley Stevenson has joined the Toronto Blue Jays as only the second female coach in franchise history. The former women's national team member really knows baseball and will bring her talent to the West Coast when she joins the Vancouver Canadians as a coach. Global's Shalima Maharaj has the details. She rips this one to third. What a stop by Stevenson. In many ways, it's still surreal to Ashley Stevenson. Recently, the six-time Women's Baseball World Cup medalist got a call she won't soon forget. I was on the phone with Joe Sheehan when he officially said that I was being offered a job. When I got off the phone, I had a little... Moments. Stevenson will join the coaching staff of the Toronto Blue Jays High A affiliate Vancouver Canadians, making her the second female coach in franchise history. I actually said today to myself as I was walking out to just shag some balls during VP, I can't believe I'm being paid to do this. Like just kind of under my breath, <laughs> I was looking around. Stevenson, who's been a teacher for almost 20 years, is now on leave from Dr. Frank J. Hayden's secondary school in Burlington, a job she says she'll miss dearly. And for the students and staff who know her here as Coach Stevie, she's left an indelible mark on their roster. I think it's pretty important for all young female athletes just to have someone that they can look up to and um, like someone that you know personally and see like that it's really something that you can accomplish if you work hard enough for it. Just her ability to always be there for us as students and players. Um, she's always offering like a helping hand or always offering to talk to us and uh, push us to be better. Uh, she means a lot to me. Friend and former colleague Mike Butt says simply put, there was no one better for the job. She's such a leader as well and just such a, um, a magnetic personality that people are drawn to her. Anyone that's had the, the privilege of being coached by her, she's certainly had a wealth of experience at very high levels of competition. And as Coach Stevie prepares to step into her new role. To be part of an organization that's in a a win now uh, philosophy, but also really important in the minors and developing players and developing good people is uh, something that aligns with like, you know, kind of my morals and my coaching philosophy. For love of the game, she's played for so long. Shaliba Maharaj, Global News. Congratulations, Coach Stevie. Can't wait to see her at Nat Bailey. Yeah, April, the uh, C start playing this year, so 
Not in too April. far away when the weather's better, I guess. Yes. But yeah, we're going to need some improvements, Yvonne. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to work on that. Uh, winter's still here. Uh, a final look at our five-day forecast. We're still going to be tracking a few flurries this evening. Temperatures very chilly. Bundle up for the morning hours, both Thursday, Friday, minus 10 to minus 13, and then we're watching Saturday, late day into Sunday, anywhere between five. A few spots could even get up to 15 centimeters of snow locally. So stay tuned. It's still a few days out, but we're really looking ahead, planning for the weekend so far, and plenty of sunshine still to enjoy over the coming days. It, it looks like it might not stick around for too long if we if we do get those amounts, though, right? Yeah, hopefully we'll start to see temperatures bump up, and then it'll change back over to rain. But, you know, in Vancouver, it could hey. be messy. <laughs> Yeah, literally anything What a hedging on this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks very much, Yvonne, and thank you all for watching. Have a great night, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.